Welcome to Radar Contact, the air traffic management podcast by Fox ATM. Welcome to Radar Contact. I'm your host, Vincent Lambercy, and this is a special episode about sustainability. I have no guests today, but instead I'd like to bring you through different things that ANSP do or can do or will do in the future to contribute to reducing the impact of aviation on the climate. It is known that aviation is responsible for emitting 2.5% of CO2 at a global scale, and air traffic management certainly can do a lot of things to keep these numbers as low as possible and make aviation sustainable. The basic role of air traffic management is to maintain a safe and orderly flow of traffic and to do that in the most efficient way. And one could even add now uh, to do that in a sustainable way. But luckily, in many, many cases, maintaining an orderly and, and safe flow of traffic is the same thing as maintaining a sustainable flow of traffic. If we look, for example, at network management or flow management, what Eurocontrol has been doing in Europe for decades now, and that's uh, other organizations throughout the world do as well, it aims simply at saying that an aircraft cannot depart and start its flight as long as there is no warranty that the airspace it will use will be available and that the airspace around the airport it wants to land is not congested or not too much congested and that it can land at its destination airport without having to wait. Here it's important to understand something. When an aircraft flies at a high altitude, it's using much less fuel and it can fly much faster. An aircraft flying at low altitude or using power to maintain its altitude is using much more than an aircraft running on idle power, so using as less fuel as possible. So the role of network management and the idea behind network management is that instead of releasing aircraft immediately when they are ready to depart, whatever the conditions and the traffic en route is, it is better to ensure that the airspace is available, to avoid aircraft ending up in holding patterns uh, for minutes and minutes, burning a lot of fuel at low altitude. And this has been in place in Europe for, for decades now, and this is working pretty well. However, aviation and ATM can do more than that. In many airports in Europe, we also have um, what is called ACDM, Advanced Collaboration Decision Making which is a system in which all involved partners provide data to make sure that aircraft leave the terminal at the best possible time. Here again, it's all about knowing how fuel is used. When an aircraft is waiting at the terminal, it receives electricity and air condition from the ground and does not need its engine running. From the moment an aircraft leaves the terminal, it taxis, obviously using its engines, but it also needs the engine for air conditioning and power on board. So when an aircraft is waiting close to a runway, it has to have the engines running for the purpose of feeding its own systems. And this is what we try to avoid with ACDM. And the idea of ACDM is that the takeoff time is predefined and calculated and then everything is calculated backwards, knowing how much time the aircraft will need for taxi, for starting the engine, for pushing back and so on. And aircraft are then released from the, from the terminal at the perfect time to make sure that they reach the runway 
at the moment they will depart and don't have to stand by close to the runway with the engines running. And this is in place at a few dozen uh, airports in Europe. And it has proven to not only make better use of the runway and of the terminals, but because aircraft are almost not waiting before departure, this is a great sustainability improvement. And more and more airports will probably implement ACDM procedures uh, in the near future. This was for the departure part of the process at an airport, but there is also a lot that can be done for the en route part of the flight. It's enough to look at a website like FlightRadar or FlightAware showing live traffic to see that aircraft are definitely not flying in a straight line from A to B. This can be for political reasons. There are countries that cannot be overflown. But there are many reasons that also are caused by ATM itself. Because the way of maintaining the safe and orderly flow of traffic that ATM is wanting to, to have and is tasked to produce um, is with some structure. And for a very long time, this was managed by infrastructure on the ground. Basically, there are radio beacons, or there were radio beacons on the ground every 100 miles or so, and aircraft were simply flying blindly from one beacon to the other one. And these were the so-called airways. And because of aircraft needed this structure on the ground, they could not freely fly from A to B on the most direct route, but they had to follow this route and this route had a certain capacity. And this was um, limiting on one side the capacity of the airspace. And on the other side, sometimes the routes were much longer than what was the straight line from A to B. Um, now with GPS navigation and, and more modern systems, it is always more possible to simplify the route network and this has been pushed by certain countries to the most extreme simplification, and this is what is called free route airspace, or FRA, in which basically instead of having a route network that aircraft have to follow, this country just say aircraft must enter and leave the airspace on certain points, which was the case in the previous system as well. But they can fly from the entry point to the exit point completely freely in the way they want. This might sound like something easy to do and, and the most sensible solution, but for a long time this was not possible simply because aircraft were dependent on equipment on the ground for navigation. Obviously with GPS uh, it's now possible to fly from A to B very easily and very directly, but this raises uh, a lot of different challenges for air traffic controllers. And this is something that's did not make possible for aviation to use GPS to its full extent from the very beginning. Let's imagine you are an air traffic controller. You have two airways uh, across your area, one from north to south, one from east to west. And in the center of your airspace, there is one of these radio beacons I mentioned before. And you know the traffic is crossing at that point. So basically that means when you have an aircraft flying north to south and another one flying east to west, they will cross at that point and you have to manage the flow of traffic on this intersection to make sure that 
um, the separation, so the distance between the aircraft will be maintained at all time in a safe way. You can do that either by turning them left or right or have one climb and the other or descent or something like that. Or just simply watch the timing and make sure that everything is fine on your crossing point. You cannot have conflict between two aircraft following each other, assuming they fly at similar speeds. And aircraft flying opposite directions normally fly at different altitudes, so you don't have to really take care of them either. The whole problem is really aircraft flying north, north to south at the crossing point with aircraft flying east to west. Now imagine you don't have that beacon anymore and you don't have the routes anymore as well, which means the aircraft can enter and leave your airspace where they want, when they want, and fly to any direction directly to a specific exit. And that means conflict can happen everywhere. It's not just on the crossing point that you have to watch and manage the traffic, but you have to manage the traffic in all places, everywhere in your airspace can a conflict happen. And you need to manage that. And this is a hard thing to do. And this was not possible until recently where the free route airspace concept have been deployed and, and put in place. And they involved uh, electronic safety nets. So basically computers looking at the traffic and making sure and attracting the controller's attention to places where conflict could happen and help the controllers watch and monitor the traffic and solve the conflicts ahead. Many countries in Europe uh, are implementing or implemented free route airspace. This has been done progressively. At first it was at night only because it's easier with less traffic. But more and more countries now implement free route uh, on a 24-7 basis. And the concept is even growing because normally free route was within a national airspace with specified entry and exit points where ATC organization can transfer an aircraft to the next air traffic control organization. And this happened on fixed points for historical reasons. And now some countries are even implementing free route in a transnational way. And aircraft can really start flying from A to B on the most direct route. Another factor that's often limited the use of direct routings is the fact that airspace is not only used for civil air aircraft uh, flying passengers from A to B, but military pilots also need airspace to train and, and run exercises. And the military sometimes owns a, a large portion of, an air of a country's airspace. And historically, there were airspace blocks that were dedicated to military and other that were used by civilians around. And many countries now implement what is called flexible use of airspace or FUA. Here again, Eurocontrol played a key role in promoting the concept and in offering tools. And that means that when military needs some airspace, they coordinate with civilians and they use and block the airspace only when they really are flying into it, which makes this airspace available for, for civilian aircraft the rest of the time. And here again, because aviation is not dependent on beacons on the ground anymore, but as aircraft can navigate by themselves, either using satellite navigation or, or inertial navigation, they can fly through these military airspaces even if there is no beacons on the ground. And this helped a lot with increasing the capacity.
So hopefully in, in the coming years, we will see more and more aircraft flying from A to B in the most direct way. And they will continue to maneuver around airports because here you cannot approach an airport from every direction and land straight in. You need to be lined up uh, with the runway matching the wind direction. And there are, there are many other factors coming into play here. And often because airports have limited capacity, it was uh, normal procedures to have holding patterns. So basically an aircraft leaves the airways, descends towards the airport and at some points in vicinity of the airport, if the capacity is not available for them to land, uh, these aircraft were sent in holding patterns. So basically flying straight one minute, turning around one minute, flying straight one minute and repeat until the capacity is available. And this is one of the less efficient way to fly an aircraft because it's at lower altitude, at lower speed on higher power. And this is where aircraft engines are burning the most fuel. So to avoid that, the solution that has been put in place is arrival managers. And this is basically systems that help controllers to slow down aircraft. And the idea is that instead of having an aircraft waiting for five minutes, using a lot of fuel in a holding pattern, you slow this aircraft down, maybe 40 to 50 minutes before its arrival, and slowing it by just a few knots is sufficient to avoid the holding pattern. So instead of losing four minutes at low altitude and high power, you just slow down the aircraft in the airways where it can be at very low power. And by slowing down enough, you avoid having to fly the holding pattern. And when an airman can see and manage the traffic on a longer time horizon, it can furthermore reduce the, the time spent in holding patterns. The same thing applies to the design of approach procedures. Historically, because of the way aircraft were guided around airports and because of the way the procedures were designed, it was very normal to have step down approach. Basically, you come down to a certain altitude, you maintain that altitude for a while, uh, flying different um, steps. And that gave pilots time to manage the descent. Because descending with an aircraft is not an easy thing to do. You have to manage the conversion of altitudes into speed, but not gain too much speed. So you cannot simply point the nose down and, and wait. You have to manage the way you lose that altitude. And at times where pilots were calculating and managing that manually and controllers as well, the usual way of designing such procedures was to give a certain distance for a certain loss of altitude plus buffers. And if the pilots were descending without using the buffers, then he was descending with low power, then reaching the intermediate altitude, and then had to apply power to maintain the altitude until coming to the point where the next step of the descent would start. This is easier to fly for pilots. This is feasible to fly without a lot of automation on board, but this is definitely not the best way of reducing uh, emissions by, by aircraft. And now the solution to solve this problem is what is called continuous descent operations or CDOs in which the aircraft leaves the airways, 
and descends towards the ILS or towards the final approach where he line up with the runway and, and eventually lands by continually gliding down without having to apply much power. And this is definitely a big saver of um, fuel consumption and, and emissions as well. And more and more airports in the world are implementing those. And here again, this is something that is much harder to manage because you don't have these safety buffers. You cannot descend to a certain altitude and then wait for the next step. You have to make sure at any point in time that you are at a correct altitude speed and that you will reach and maintain this perfect trajectory. But thankfully with modern technology, both in the cockpit and in the air traffic control rooms, this is now possible and even large airports like Paris-Charles de Gaulle are in the process of implementing such approaches. And there are other places where technology helps a lot. For example, in, in case of airports with complex terrain around, it is not always possible to have an approach in the most direct, in the most straight way to the runway, but you have to fly around mountains. And because the navigation capability and the navigation performance of an aircraft is not as perfect as one could think, you need to have margins. You cannot just have an aircraft fly 200 meters from, from a mountain in the clouds without being sure that the navigation system has the same performance. And the progresses and the improvements in navigation capabilities with GPS, with um, augmented signals using receivers on the ground and a mix of space and ground-based navigation really increased the performance of navigation which means we can achieve this kind of, of performance nowadays and some approaches can be shortened. The best example of that has been done um, in Corsica recently, where an airport designed a so-called RNP approach and aircraft having the correct equipment on board and the proper certification and training can now fly an approach into that airport that's from the final approach point to the runway is um, roughly four minutes shorter. And that means the aircraft is flying for four minutes less when approaching and landing at that airport. And this definitely makes uh, a big difference. And from takeoff to landing via the en route portion, We've just seen there are many things that NSPs do and can do to improve sustainability of aviation by reducing the flight times, by keeping the aircraft at higher altitudes for longer times and not waste fuel in, in holding patterns and other things. But there are also the ways ANSPs can make aviation more sustainable. And one of them is by not being a limitation to other projects, what I'm meaning here is that air navigation service providers maintain a full infrastructure. The navigation beacons I mentioned before still exist for backup reasons and, and for some, some other purposes. Um, ANSPs also have radar stations and radio stations. And because these things all work with radio, 
there are limitations to what can be done in vicinity of these installations to make sure there is no interference. And this has a big impact, for example, on wind farms. If you have a so-called VOR, so a radio beacon on the ground, it's not possible to install uh, a wind farm within a few kilometers of, of this installation. And because we still have many of those stations, and we will still need many of those stations, even when aircraft are navigating using other means, that was, in certain countries, strongly limiting the way wind farms can be implemented and developed. And ANSP has invested a lot in research to see if the minimal distance from such a beacon could be reduced. And this has recently been the case in Germany, so that distance has been reduced, allowing for more wind farms. And the same happened in, Bel in Belgium uh, two or three years ago. So by being aware of the needs of people around them and being aware of the limitations they create, ANSP can also reduce the impact of aviation on climate change. Speaking of infrastructure, there was also a project recently in which the first energetically autonomous radar station has been deployed. So you have to imagine it that way. Normally you have a radar station on top of a hill or mountain um, which either has its own power station, so power generators burning fuel, or um, a power line being dug through nature to go to the radar station. But this one is fully autonomous, which means it has renewable energy generation on-site, and the whole radar station can work on its own without um, significant emissions and uh, without burning fuel to to power itself. Another example is the maintenance of this infrastructure, specifically the, the ILS, so the signals used to guide aircraft on short final and just before landing, so the last kilometers of an approach, um, is done using radio waves and there are special transmitters alongside the runway to generate these signals. And these things have to be calibrated and checked regularly and the normal way of doing it is to have an aircraft coming in that can fly a perfect trajectory, receive these signals and compares them with perfection to make sure that they are within tolerance. And the most interesting part is at short range of the airport, probably two to three kilometers from the, the end of the runway. But the flight inspection procedure requires to fly the full approach, then go around, fly around the airport, go back and, and do the next approach because you need to test different conditions. And some NSPs like Skyguide in, in Switzerland now use drones to fly these things. So what they do is that they position themselves just below the approach. They fly the few hundred meters that are really relevant using a drone back and forth with no need to fly uh, a heavy aircraft, no need to burn fuel, no need to fly for a longer time. They exactly fly the places where the things are the most critical in these different conditions. And not only this is a much faster inspection procedure, it's also much more environment friendly because it does not require as much as the aircraft. It's not replacing the aircraft completely, but it allows to reduce the, the amount of, of use of the aircraft. So all in all, I would say that ATM as an industry is very aware of its responsibility within the, the aviation and, and within the world as a whole. 
And there are projects, there is certainly more that can be done. Some of the projects I mentioned could probably be implemented at other places as well. And ATM as an industry is constantly working on improving not only its safety and, and efficiency, but also working a lot on sustainability. In this podcast, when we have guests, we close the episode by asking them how they see the evolution of their domain uh, within five and, and 50 years. And I guess it's only fair that I go through the same exercise here. My feeling in terms of sustainability is that in the coming five years, we will see much more things like ACDM, collaborative decision-making and, and continual decent operations, which are things that are made possible first because technology now allows for it, but because we also have the data for it to make it possible, monitor it, identify the problems. And these are things that should develop within the next five years, and they are not new things. They are in place already, they are in operation, and I really expect that these things will develop themselves and be more and more used uh, in the coming five years. What I would say on aviation sustainability in the next 50 years is a bit on a different angle. The biggest gain we can have is probably in terms of aircraft design and engines design. Ideally going to electric aircraft or hydrogen-based aircraft. And this is outside of the scope of ATC. But by the day we will have aircraft that can fly without having an impact on the environment. That will be definitely a great step. And, and that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. This was Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.